Hello, and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. Every week, we bring you interviews with makers and artists of all kinds from all over the world that identify as female, non-binary, or transgender. This episode's guest is Anne Taggart. Anne is originally from the Northeast U.S. and the mountains of Vermont. She currently calls the mountains of West Virginia home. Anne loves to make and fix things. She studied the traditional Japanese kintsugi with a third-generation Yurishi lacquer artist from Kyoto, Japan. The traditional Japanese ceramics repair practice of kintsugi is associated with the aesthetic tradition of wabi-sabi, or the acceptance of transience and imperfection. Anne uses traditional materials and brings deep respect for the history and origins of kintsugi and yurishi lacquer art forms to her work. Every attempt is made to honor the history and cultural importance of this traditional art form while sharing it with the world. I really enjoyed my conversation with Anne. This is something that, um, <clears throat> to be quite honest, I didn't really know about uh, before Anne reached out to me. And so, um, definitely spent a lot of time just learning about the process and what goes into it and um, maybe how we, uh, especially I want to say in the West, could learn from this idea, um, this Japanese idea of wabi-sabi, of um, acceptance of transience, transience and imperfection, and bringing that into our own art pieces. Before getting into the conversation with Anne, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So an, an especially loud shout out and thanks to Matthew from Artigiano Serio, one of the podcast sponsors. And thank you to Candace, CJ Woodgrain, Lee Atley Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Rachel, Moody Makes, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Brandy Studio Obey, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much. I do also want to take this time and thank a small handful um, of those patrons, Ethan, Ellen, Brandy, and, and also Lee, the Rainbow Carver. Um, they have all been around since basically the very beginning of the podcast, which this October, believe it or not, will hit four years of doing the podcast. It's just hard to believe that. So I want to give a big special thank you to them for sticking around and continuing to support uh, not only a podcast, but myself. And that's just a shout out to the maker community as a whole. Uh, find your tribe and they will stick with you. All right, let's head on into the conversation with Anne. All right. Well, All right. Anne, I like to ask my guests to introduce themselves. Would you do that for me? Sure. Um, my name is Ann Taggart, and I uh, run a small art business called Mountain Kintsugi, and I do traditional Japanese kintsugi repairs and restoration of um, ceramics and pottery, also stone, wood, glass, crystal, um, and I'm really excited to be here talking to you today. Awesome. So before we get into like how you got into all of that, <laughs> um, I want to ask like, uh, you know, kind of the bigger, the bigger picture story of Anne, like, um, you know, from baby Anne to, uh, to now, Okay. Um, like, what was your, your journey from, from childhood on up? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Disclaimer, you know, I, I tend to ramble a little and I, I apologize in advance for that. So you've just dropped a really enormous question on me. Um, I'll try to keep it concise and I'll fail totally. Um, I, um, grew up in upstate New York. I was born in upstate New York. My mom is a, is a piano teacher and I'm a fifth generation musician by training from way back. My dad is an electrical engineer um, they live in Vermont now. My dad discovered skiing when I was five. And so I spent about half my childhood in an Airstream camper skiing every weekend up in Vermont until they bought a house, um, when I was 10, where they live now. Um, I, after I'm going to pause you for a second. Sure. I'm how, like doing the bio, how, like how warm is it to stay in an Airstream camper 
uh, in skiing weather. <laughs> I don't remember being cold, but I do remember having trailer kitchen spaghetti for Thanksgiving more than once, right? Because ski season in Vermont usually starts Thanksgiving weekend. Um, like I said, I don't remember being cold, but I remember being super excited about hot showers at the campground also. So uh, not the warmest, um, yeah. but they got a house when I was 10. Right. Okay. And then we did like ski racing and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so sort of that's, that's relevant because part of the reason my business is called mountain Kintsugi is I live in West Virginia now, very mountainy. And I also spend a lot of time up in Vermont with my parents and everything up there. I lived up there for 16 years, um, after college when my son was little. So mountains are important to me sort of wherever I am. So mm -hmm. that's sort of, sort of relevant. Um, I, I have a love of crafting and making from very small. And my dad is the kind of guy that will fix something until it falls apart completely. So like he's the one with the Subarus that hit like 300,000 miles and he, so making and building and fixing and engineering and understanding things is sort of in my blood. Um, and with that, I just lost the track of where I was going. So yeah, so I'm a Northern New York, New England mountain kind of person. I went to college in Connecticut and lived outside Boston for a little while, lived up in Vermont for 16 years, moved to Florida for five years, and now we live in West Virginia. So, and now we're all current. Um, I went to college for music originally, but I've also studied counseling. Um, I have a master's in forensic psychology. I worked as an accountant. I started doing accounting work. Um, I had a lot of office study, like work study jobs in college. Cause when you're a music major, like you quickly find out that ah, office work <laughs> is only nine to five and it actually pays. Right. So, um, I taught myself bookkeeping and I worked my way up from a very bad self-taught bookkeeper to a CFO. Um, I've kind of done a lot of things and lived, lived a lot of places, although mainly on the East coast. Um, and then, uh, here I am now. And how did you get into, I'm probably going to murder Kintsugi? Kintsugi. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> anyone who doesn't speak Japanese is going to just do our best with that word. Kintsugi. Yeah. Um, I got started with it. I have, I have been aware of it for many years. I did a lot of ceramics, like in high school, I found it very meditative and relaxing. And so sort of, I always took a ceramics class in high school to kind of chill out. I was bad at it, but I didn't care. I loved mm -hmm. just doing it. Right. So I've been sort of peripherally aware of Kintsugi, which a lot of people who do pottery are aware of it as a traditional pottery repair technique, or like if you're into Asian art or Asian antiquities, like Japanese art and this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and during the pandemic, a lot of people learned how to make bread. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to find, I'm going to do it. I, I had taken some time off. We had to relocate. So I left my job down in Florida. We moved to West Virginia to be closer to family and to help out with the pottery business. And I had some time on my hands and I was like, I'm going to learn how to do this. I've always wanted to do it. I'm going to do it. And I fell in love. I didn't expect to fall in love, you know, <laughs> but I just did. And I was like, this is the most amazing thing ever. I just... I just want to, I just want to fix all the things and make them beautiful. Can you explain a little bit about the process? Cause I'm going to say like pottery is not my wheelhouse. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know much about the process. Yeah. Well, um, Kintsugi itself, traditional Kintsugi is a lacquer art form, not, mm. and, it, and it's only related to ceramics in that most of the things you're working on are going to be ceramics, stoneware, porcelain, china. You know, mm -hmm. I, I work on natural stone also, um, and other stuff, glass and crystal and anything that's like hard that breaks you can you know and wood also you can do lacquer on wood um so it's it's something that potters and ceramic artists get interested in but it doesn't actually have anything to do with with um ceramics and, and actually making pots nothing gets fired or anything like that um you basically all of these steps of the process have to do with arushi lacquer, which is created, it's refined from the sap of the lacquer tree, which is mm -hmm. part of the poison sumac family. So the lacquer itself is highly allergenic. If you are sensitive to poison ivy, generally speaking, like 50 to 75% of people are going to react to urushi lacquer also, which is kind of a bummer. I am extremely <laughs> sensitive to poison ivy. So I have to do these like breaking bad level um, precautions in order to be able to work in my medium. So like it's a whole thing. 
Um, but the good news is that once it's fully cured, it's totally hypoallergenic and safe to use. And people have been using Urushi lacquered items in daily use for something like 12,000 years. Mm. So a big part of um, traditional kintsugi is understanding the history and the cultural importance of Urushi lacquer in Japanese culture and South Asian, not South Asian, but East Asian culture, mm. pardon me. Um, and one of my big personal mandates is to be really aware of how to navigate that issue since I myself am not an East Asian or person, right? Mm -hmm. So like, how do I do this traditional mm -hmm. art form and mm -hmm. honor the roots of it and not be doing cultural appropriation Barbie? Right. So I'm really, I'm really sensitive to that. Um, and so that's part of what led me to a traditional method practice when there are like a whole bunch of easier ways to do stuff and fix ceramics with glue and epoxy and even put gold, whatever on it and make it look like kintsugi. But that's, um, they call that simple kintsugi or modern kintsugi. And what I, I really wanted to be kind of on, I'm a sort of a purist type of person anyway. And I was like, you know, I really want to learn how to do it the real way. But I think you had asked me actually what the process is. So <laughs> let me get back to that. So you basically use different combinations of arushi lacquer sort of in different preparations, like some of it's more refined or less refined, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's got pigment added to it. So like you, you, you mix Urushi lacquer with powdered clay or flour and water and you make glue and you use that to reassemble the broken pieces and fill in chips and stuff. And then you lacquer the finished effect, you, there's lots of sanding, mm -hmm. and then you lacquer it and then you apply the pure gold powder to lacquer. So when it's like tacky, yep. and that's how you get that gold effect. Like I thought it was you pour molten gold on the broken <laughs> ceramic shards and, oh, you know, you like forge this thing. That would be really cool. That would be even more complicated than actual traditional kintsugi really is. So, so you're basically using these natural materials that have been used for thousands of years in Japan mm -hmm. and China and Korea and mixing new like substrate, right? So like I'm, I'm gluing things back together and then you remove the excess glue and then you fill it in with Arushi putty, which is, you're basically like creating new stone that you can work with. And you're using this incredibly strong bonding Urushi lacquer, which is this incredible natural substance and it's allergic as hell, but it's so worth it. Yeah. And then you smooth it and you make this perfect join and then you decorate the perfect join and you decorate it. it. You can just leave it with a lacquer finish, which is really beautiful. Or you can put any kind of metal powder, most mm. of the time gold, which is really great because it doesn't tarnish at all. So for hundreds of years, it'll just be this beautiful gold thing. You can use pure silver. You can also use um, a lot of students like in Japan will use brass or tin. Mm. Um, brass powder actually looks pretty much like gold, but it's, um, it's cheaper. Yep. So you can use brass or tin and they have different sort of neo gold powders and this sort of thing that you can use when you're learning. Um, so, and then there's, but it, it's sort of a slow art form because each time, each step involves lots of sanding. And uh, when you initially reassemble something, it has to cure for at least two weeks. And mm. it's just this slow process um, that is very culturally important, uh, but it also contains a really powerful metaphor, of course, which is um, every, so there's a, a proverb in Japan, which is everything that has a form breaks. So it's sort of the transitive nature of life. And, and if you think about it in a culture that developed along the Pacific Rim, earthquakes, mm -hmm. you know, sort of the wabi-sabi aesthetic and some, you know, Buddhist and maybe Zen principles, this sort of thing of, of acceptance of the transience of life, things get broken and change as time goes on. Nothing stays the same, but it can be beautiful. And so the yeah. art form is how to mend something, an object. Uh, and, and, and that the scars of its wear and tear make it even more beautiful. And part of that is that the, the reality that a Kintsugi repaired item is actually going to be stronger than it was before. And then, which is really interesting. So, you know, and, and I, I found it, you know, sort of as a, a, a woman of a certain age, like the idea that our scars and visible signs of aging and wear and tear make us more beautiful. I think that is a, a metaphor that is appealing to to lots of us. So. Yeah. I mean, that definitely is <clears throat> interesting. Um, Cause like you said, like you, you repair, you put it all back together and then you accentuate that repair. And I yeah. would say like 
Western culture does not do that. <laughs> and they definitely don't do it the slowest, most expensive way possible, Correct. right? <laughs> yeah. So there's like um, um, restoration and, and a lot of the focus of ceramics repair is to do invisible repairs. Right. And that's awesome. And I the, the people who can do those invisible repairs, that's amazing and beautiful. The problem is that stuff's not food safe because of the chemicals and the paints that they use. Mm-hmm. So the very first Kintsugi repairs were were done on objects that were used in the tea ceremony, which is a really important um, practice in feudal Japan, you know, in the, our Western Renaissance period, but like 1400s, 1500s Japan. So these vessels that were used in the tea ceremonies, if you're familiar with it at all, it's a very rigid formalized thing. And so if you're like a minor government official in feudal Japan and the local prefect comes to your house, you're going to do a tea ceremony and your wife is going to be there and it's going to be this big thing. And you're going to use these tea bowls that have been handed down in your family for generations. If one of them breaks, you're not going to throw it away. You're going to fix it because that is the tea bowl that was at the ceremony when the prefect came to your house 300 years ago or whatever. I'm exaggerating, but like 30 years ago, (laughs) honored prefect came to the house. We had tea. This is the bowl we used. So those heirloom objects were handed down through generations and they were uh, symbols of status and, and position. They were very important. Many of those exist today and they're artifacts in museums in Japan. And sometimes they come to Western countries on tour and whatever. Um, Those objects are worth fixing. They're extremely meaningful. And then, you know, showing the history, right, also is is important. And yeah, the the symbolism of decorating the scars is so is so cool. Um, But that's kind of how that came about. And and it's really interesting today. I um, one of the biggest parts of my practice is um, is doing repair commission works for people. And it's not just like, well, I got this plate at Target and then I dropped it, you know, Mm -hmm. it's going to cost a couple hundred bucks to fix it, you know, so, so it's like, it's like, this is my great grandmother's mug that her, her husband brought home from Japan when he was on, you know, in the war over there, and it got dropped and we want to fix it and can you fix it and make it like heirloom quality and I, I have to say, I love, I love the repair work so much because of the people I get to meet and help and the stories and I'm restoring their items for them um, and, and transforming them at the same time, because it's not going to be an invisible repair. It's going to be a very visible repair. Right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's just part of, part of what I love about it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just gets my, it it, yeah, but it, I mean, it gets my mind going on the thought of, like you said, like the big thing of trying to make repairs invisible and in, in my world of like, woodworking and the hundreds of dollars people spend to like refinish a piece right and Mm -hmm. they want it to be refinished to like like original condition Mm -hmm. and we're talking antique furniture um you know and it's interesting of like hmm I wonder instead of like going the path of trying to refinish it to like new condition if instead you know, the, the refinish work or repair work was done to make it stronger and to like recognize that. Yeah. Like, yeah, the finish wears. And so Mm -hmm. we'll put, we'll put new finish on it, but maybe not like sand it all the way back down to bare wood or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, like, if, I mean, I'm not a woodworker or a wood artist, but like with, with wood there, you can only sand it down so many times, mm-hmm. you know, it'll, it'll get too small, but um, yeah, there are some Kintsugi artists who, who work with wood and that, like when you're, you've got chips missing or big cuts or slices mm-hmm. or something and that's something, maybe the damage is too big to sand down. You can fill it with Rushi putty and decorate it, you mm-hmm. know, and be like, this is the part where, you know, and you memorialize um, the damage to it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely something that, that people do. I, um, I got a request to, to look at a, a, an enormous onyx table, like six foot by four foot or something slab of onyx, <laughs> which had been in this woman's family. She's like, my family brought it over from Germany in the 1930s and these movers broke it and it like, you know, shattered into a mm-hmm. bunch of pieces. And I was like, yeah, that's going to be an enormous job, but it absolutely can be done. And that would be really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's great because with Kintsugi, it's 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 an adhesive that's really strong. And then you can also fill in missing spots and smooth. Mm-hmm. I'm making hand gestures that aren't visible. You can fill in, <laughs> fill in, you know, 
cracks and and, yeah. and stuff like that. So when chunks are missing or small voids and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, but I I have an enormous respect for people who do the invisible repairs. Um, you know, that that's something I've I've considered doing, but yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Athena Outfitters. Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that sells everything badass beauties need to get the job done from work boots to basics. They curate the toughest essentials made to help you perform every piece is handpicked to seamlessly slide right into your daily lifestyle from rugged and roguish weekday wear to effortless weekend flair. You can fill your closet with gear that can do it all. So for Christmas, I ordered my wife like a very nice pair of slippers from Athena Outfitters and she loves them. Loves them so much that she has accidentally gone to the gym and the grocery store in them because they seem to never leave her feet. So definitely a place to go check out, go get the goods that help you not only out in the shop, but just in your daily uh, work around the house and outdoors. As a listener of the podcast, you can go to Athena Outfitters website and use coupon code MM, as in M&Ms, 15 for 15% off any purchase. So again, you go to athenaoutfitters.com and use the code MM15 and get 15% off of your purchase at checkout. I have pieces of furniture that my great great grandfather um made you know that's continued to be passed down through the family and like this conversation about the flaws gets me thinking that I mean it's a project that I continue to put off because refinishing is not my favorite thing to do but, <laughs> right, um, right. but you know they they need work like they need repair um they're not in the greatest of conditions and I've been thinking for so long and probably putting it off because I'm like, oh, I got to strip it all down. I've got to take like, you know, I've got to do all of these things. And because in my head again, I'm like, oh, I want it to be in like new condition. But rather than that, I think maybe it tells a better, broader story to repair so that some things are functional again, but not erasing the fact that like this is a piece of furniture that's, you know, however many years old. Like, right. It's had some wear and tear. Yeah, it's yeah. seen some things. Yeah. I think I'm okay. I'm not an antiques expert yeah. either. I'm just an idiot who does Kintsugi, but <laughs> you know, like, uh, but some of the marks of age and stuff, I work with a lot of antique pieces, you know, and mm-hmm. what I do, it's not the same as furniture again, also. So you've got sort of different different standards, but some of those marks of age make different pieces more valuable, you know, and especially if it's, you're not, if it's for you, if it's for your family, you don't have to worry about somebody putting a retail value on it or whatever, so much as, you know, to your standards. So I definitely think there's, I mean, I'm, I think there's some value in, in repairing it, but leaving some of those marks visible because they tell a story. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, even telling the story of, you know, um, like my great great grandfather was not like a professionally trained woodworker, right? He just like built things out of necessity. And so things like that I've learned through classes that I've taken, like wood movement and stuff like like it's clear in the construction. He didn't understand those things. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, I do have to make a repair so that like it doesn't just eventually crack all to bits. but right. Um, but still maybe like honoring the fact that like, you know, I'm another generation of woodworkers in the family and just how that process has grown, but showing like, well, this is where this came from. This is what it started as. So it's just a, yeah, it's an interesting concept I had not thought of before. Yeah. (laughs) And your work will leave your mark on it too. Yeah. So yeah, I see, I, I've always been into older you know, historical things. I grew up in the historical district of Schenectady and was surrounded by houses that were three and 400 years old. And my parents really liked antiques and stuff and like old buildings and old houses. Mm -hmm. I like old stuff, you know? So now it's awesome. I get to go poke through antique stores and buy all the broken things, which (laughs) the people think is hilarious until I tell them why I want all the broken stuff. But um, yeah, I think, I think I am a person who thinks, who believes in preserving 
um, our historical artifacts. You know, mm -hmm. I like to repair instead of replace yeah. um, whenever, you know, when I can. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I support you in doing that 100%. <laughs> that sounds great. I am also like one of those people who's like, I just took a vacation with my younger sisters and I was like, okay, so part of this vacation, we are going antiquing because um, <laughs> like, I don't get to do that kind of stuff. Usually with my kids, they're like, this is yeah. so boring, you oh, know, but <laughs> yeah. And then if it's like breakable stuff or whatever, right, I did right. the same thing. I was back up in Vermont in April. Um, I was helping take care of my mom after she fell. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make the best out of the situation and that I'm going to go to antique shops up mm -hmm. there. I'm going to explore and see what's around. And, you know, so at least I can pick up some things, some pieces to work on and get some projects and, you know, explore. Cause the, 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 the shops around me here in, in Charleston are pretty well tapped out at this yeah. point, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to go up there and see, you know, what, what's kind of in there. And I found an amazing antique shop and was just like arms, you know, <laughs> and I have so many projects now sitting in my studio that I'm so excited about. Um, I got some really amazing things. So I'm, I'm with you. Like we went up into Ohio to pick up a camper and I was like, there's an antique shop. Like, <laughs> you know, like skirt, we're going in there. Yep. Yeah. I got to make yeah. the best of it. But it's like, then it's like, I got to calm down, you know, like, okay, every project is going to take me like at least eight weeks. So exactly. I, have to, I, have a, I just took 10 pieces out of my curing boxes from the repair reassembly phase. And now I'm like, okay, I've got to stop shopping for a minute and get some of these babies caught well, up. So I, I'm similar, but it, mine is uh, collecting wood especially free wood. Oh. Like oh. I've been, I've been told my wife is like, no more. <laughs> like, <laughs> our, our house is, our house is surrounded and our garage is full. No more. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I bought <laughs> some rack shelving and I put it on top of a table. I was like, all right, my studio is small. I'm going up. And right. I, so I put the shelving on top of the table and now I have like projects on projects because they always get stalled at the sanding phase because yeah. I dread the sanding and I'm like, oh, <laughs> so I have, I seriously have like six things just sitting on the shelves and then like five repair commissions I'm working on. And then like just all these new, you know, I, I love a new project. Right, Nothing right. I'm like, Ooh, look at that shiny broken thing right. that I get to fix now. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then a friend brings a mug over and I'm like, well, of course I'm going to fix your mug for you. <laughs> so yeah, so, so many projects. I know you said like anything hard, I guess I want to just ask this real quick. Like, does that include glass? Like, can you do this with glass? Mm -hmm. okay. Um, not all glass things are like suitable or going to come out looking good. And it, mm -hmm. and it really depends on um, like the, ex the type of the piece, the extent of the damage, what fix is needed. Um, I actually am working on a really big handmade glass platter for a client. And I ended up, ugh, and I, I don't normally do this. So I, I haven't, I'm just sharing I decided not to use regular Urushi glue to reassemble the pieces because it's dark, dark brown mm. and it cures up dark brown. And usually you lack over and you don't see it. Right. Um, but when you're working with big, thick pieces of glass, you're going to see the brown yeah. glue in between all the pieces. And so I used um, epoxy to actually stick it back together. And then I'm going to lacquer the edges. So I'm, I'm like, I really wanted to help these people. They're like, so I was like, all right, I don't usually work with epoxy. That's not my, my jam, but right. that's going to be the best thing for this bowl. And they were like, we really want you to fix it. So I was like, all right, all right. I'll <laughs> figure out how to work with epoxy. And I found it. I was like, Man, I don't like epoxy. First of all, it's nasty. Yes. Second of all, I don't know what to do. It's like, anyway, I'm figuring it out, but I'm not changing my MO at all. Right. Maybe I would much rather work with putty. I'm allergic to it and it's slow and whatever, but I know how it behaves. Mm -hmm. And this thing, the first time I glued it back together, it fell apart in my arms and cut me. And I was like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. So then I, <laughs> and then I epoxied it. And anyway, and now I don't remember where I was going with that glass. Yes. So yeah. if you're working with a, like a crack in a thin yeah. wall piece of glass, you can probably fix it with just lacquer. And then you won't have to worry about like the weird brown arushi. I also have a glass bowl that I worked on where it's this like Fostoria crystal from the sixties or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it has this little tooth, this little teeth around it. And one of the teeth had broken off. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to rebuild the tooth. And it with, and I did, and you can, if you hold it from the bottom, you can see sort of the underside of the fill in where mm -hmm. I use the putty to, but the top of it is gold. And so I call it the gold tooth bowl because 
Yeah. You know. <laughs> and um, so the, the 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 not so short answer is yes, you can work with glass. Um, you see people do different things and a, and a lot of people do sort of the simple Kintsugi method of they'll use like a glass glue to reattach the pieces, but then they'll lacquer the outside and cover the glue and decorate with the mm. gold or whatever on top of the lacquer. So it's not like a hundred percent traditional repair yeah. where you use Urushi for everything. Um, and I haven't worked with it too, too much. Um, but yes, it is possible to work with glass. So when you're doing the first, like when you're putting it all back together, do you have to how do you make sure that it stays together while it's curing? <laughs> that is a whole like chapter in my book. Oh, um, uh, how do you make sure it stays together? Well, it depends on like the, the, that varies. Some pieces stay together when you put them back together more easily than others. Mm -hmm. And I have all kinds of ways to sort of support the pieces as they're curing. Because when you're using urushi glue or mugi urushi, which is made with urushi lacquer and flour and water, it's kind of sticky, but it doesn't bond instantly or even within a couple of minutes like epoxy. So you have to reassemble the piece like with a strategy and build it up from the bottom. So recently I did, I had found some in the antique shop up in Ohio. Mm -hmm. I was talking about, I found this pair of cobalt blue porcelain, like sake cups mm -hmm. and they were both cracked and I couldn't believe it. So I, I bought them and I took them home and I broke them to complete the cracks in traditional and like super pure traditional kintsuki. You don't break things on purpose unless they're already broken. Right. So mm -hmm. like um, you only work with, you fix existing damage. So if something is really badly cracked, you have to complete the crack in order to repair it and have a good, secure, safe mm -hmm. repair. Because a cracked item is going to get bacteria and stuff mm -hmm. in there and it's not really food safe. So you have to complete yeah. the crack. Anyway, so I found these two cups. They were both already cracked. One of them, when I went to complete the crack, broke into like six or seven pieces and was a real pain to reassemble. The other one was like three pieces. And when I glued them back together, it just, it didn't, didn't even need tape or anything. It just, mm -hmm. it just came right back together. And then you set it in the humid box to cure and, and that was it. But sometimes uh, most pieces will, I use a little bit of um, humidity resistant masking tape, mm. like to hold things together to support a rim. Like the extreme example is a plate. Like plates are actually a giant pain in the butt to reassemble sometimes <laughs> because like if the, if the rim of the plate or it's like a cup rim like this, yeah. and then it breaks into 16 pieces and they're tiny little pieces and they're working against gravity because when you right. glue them in together, like you stick them back together, they want to, they yeah. want to fall out. So I have an arsenal of like different kinds of tape, but also plasticine mm -hmm. works really well. So like, I'll kind of, I will at the same time, like I'll lay the little, lay the piece out and then I'll put some non-drying type modeling clay. And then I'll, apply the glue to all the edges and then I sort of stick it back together. And then you do this little dance of like, you support the pieces and then sort of push them back together. Right. And then you <laughs> stick up the plasticine a little more and then you stick them back together. I think every practitioner has their own method to doing it. Um, some people I've seen videos of other practitioners like on Instagram or whatever, where they tape every seam as they work. Mm. Um, I, I don't like to do that um, because the Arushi really needs oxygen and water molecules to cure. Mm -hmm. So I don't like to tape over a seam directly unless it really needs it. So like the, as less, as little tape as you can get away with so that it cures properly. Um, but plasticine is big for plate rims and stuff. And then mm -hmm. also you can sometimes like prop things up in the humid box so that gravity is working with you instead of against you. But like, I, I have a little project that I'm kind of putting off because I can't figure out an approach to supporting and balancing it while it's curing. And it, it's something that sometimes you can do it in stages. And so like, all right, I'll rebuild the base and then I'll cure that for a couple of days so it hardens up and then I'll do another layer. And then, you know, the risk with that is, and since you work with wood, maybe wood sort of behaves the same way. It shrinks, mm -hmm. it moves, you yep. know, when, when you use a rushi glue or a rushi putty to stick these things back together, the glue itself takes up a little space in the seams. And so if you have a bunch of tiny pieces and you put all the big pieces in, your little tiny pieces may not fit toward the end, right? Because the glue has itself taken up some space. So the way I was taught was you got one shot to get your best 
reassembly. <laughs> and that is the hardest part. It's like the most fun part because you're like gluing it back together. Um, but that can be definitely the hardest part. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine it can be stressful. It can be stressful. <laughs> well, yeah. And, the, and it's like, you know, the glue gets everywhere. And right. It's, you know, and it's like, it's toxic, mm -hmm. not so toxic, it's allergenic, right? Right. So it's toxic in the sense that if, if it gets on my skin, I'm going to have a terrible rash. So I'm like, you know, you get, I have a, I have a picture that I put in my course book, which shows like, it's like a tale of two repairs. And it's like, this one went together beautifully. didn't need any glue. It's completely perfect. And then this one, it's this aqua bowl and it's like covered with glue. And you can see my finger, it's like taped together, like a wing and a prayer. Like this one is a big old mess. And that's just sometimes what happens. Like yeah. sometimes the glue gets everywhere, but you can always remove it. It's a pain to remove it sometimes, but like sometimes it just takes an hour of like, oh God, that piece fell off. And right. then, oh no, that needs more tape. And oh my God. And then you have to figure out like how to move it right. into the curing box and like, you know, no sudden movements. It's got to sit in there and, and cure for ugh. some of them. They just snick right back together and it's like, oh, and then other ones. Oh my God. It sounds like, yeah. I mean, like you said, you're, you're not a fan of epoxy, but like, like I work, I do projects with resin and epoxy yeah, too. Yeah. And so I have learned on multiple occasions. Number one, it will always find the hole. Yes. <laughs> like it will always find the hole yes. and leak out. And so I've been in the same boat where it's more like try to shove more tape or glue or whatever on it to keep it from like basically just all pouring out on the floor because yeah. I missed a spot. Yeah. Oh my God. I got a real <laughs> crash course working on that big bowl and it, and I'm now at the stage where I'm sanding it down and everything, but I learned how to build like little walls with painters, you know, masking yep. tape, yep. like don't go. Cause the same thing, this thing had some, had some voids. And I was like, if I fill them with the Rushi, it's going to look really bad. Uh, you know, I guess I'm going to try to figure out how epoxy works. And, and one thing that I wasn't used to was like, you've got like two minutes of working time and you're done. Like you mix right. up a tablespoon and you do, 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 do. And then whoosh, that's it. Yeah. Yep. You know? Um, and with Rushi, one of the advantages of it is when I mix up a batch of glue or putty, I've got a couple hours of working mm. time. And if it dries out a little bit, I add some water. I mean, I'm not going to sit there for like six hours or right. it's not going to take that long. And it does definitely, but you know, Rushi needs, it needs to be like 75 degrees and 85% humidity to cure. And so my room temperature is usually a little more comfortable than that. Yeah. Um, you know, so you have some time to work with it. Um, but on the, on the offside is though, you know, the, the downside is it, it doesn't, doesn't bond instantly. Right. It doesn't always <laughs> hold things right together. And, and, you know, so it's like, but yeah, I, it, I, I also, I follow some people and look at their work just in awe of what you can do with resin mm -hmm. and epoxy. And, and it's, it's, it's pretty neat stuff. It is. Um, I always tell people that it has a massive learning curve and um, I would agree. <laughs> and even if you like follow a ton of people who do it and they give you all the tips and tricks, it's like, you just, you have to like get working with it to really figure it out. And um, yeah, I mean, I've been working with it for five years now and I still, you know, mess stuff up and it yeah. doesn't come out perfect yeah. and all that stuff. Um, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I think with any of these so handcrafts or hand work type of, you know, mm -hmm. you really do need to get your, and especially if maybe you're, maybe if you're the type of person who's into that sort of thing, you're a hands-on learning kind of person anyway, mm -hmm. it certainly is for me. Um, so I'm like, okay, I can watch a video or read a book or whatever, but until I get my hands in the material, I'm not really going to grok it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing, that's one thing I found about <clears throat> when learning Kintsugi and talking to a lot of other people who were trying to learn Kintsugi it's a Japanese art form originally, and there are almost no English language instructional books mm. out there or courses or, or anything. And I was like, like what, what do we do? So I was really fortunate to find um, a, a third generation lacquer artist and Kintsugi guy to learn from. Um, and then when I'm just trying to do some research on my own and fill in the gaps, I don't read Japanese yet. Right. I'm learning. <laughs> um, but I had to really learn a lot and figure out a lot for myself. Mm -hmm. And I also think, and talking to other people too, you know, there's some people who've sort of written some general how-tos online and there's videos and stuff, but you don't, 
maybe it's just, you know how there are some people who have really embraced the whole like teaching through transparency thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to lift the hood and show everybody how this works. I think the Kintsugi community is not there yet. And there's a lot of like, I'm not going to reveal my secrets, you know, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to reveal some secrets. Um, So I I was like, I'm writing this down because I, and I, I just released a little course, a book on how to do it. And I'm, you know, sharing what I learned because in, in, there is just, is not a lot of good English language material out there. Um, And I was like, these are my tips and tricks and this is what I have learned and, and hopefully it helps somebody, you know, so that's one of those things, but people are going to just have to go out there and do it for themselves and figure it out too. I think um, like, I've heard that just in general though, too, about like the ceramics community, like as a whole, like they're, they're slow to share their like tips and tricks, like, you uh-huh. know, and, and that is a little bit different. I've learned, I mean, and, and I would say actually it's the same in any, just with all the people I have talked to for the podcast, like if it's um, a craft that you've learned through like apprenticeship or, you know, like you've gone to schooling for it, um, you tend to be more guarded of like your quote-unquote secrets that you've learned along the way um whereas like the maker community tends to be a group of more like DIY learning on my own experimenting Mm -hmm. and that community in general I've found has been a little bit more open about like oh I tried this thing and this is what I learned and I'm sharing everything yeah um and it's just interesting it's like uh you know I think they'll probably both even out and kind of meet in the middle eventually. But mm-hmm. um, I know I even like I'm going to be going back to to school to get my master's of fine art. And like my one of my intentions for that is so that I can lift the hood for everybody who can't uh-huh. afford to go yeah. into that kind of program yeah. be like here's everything I learned here's how I'm applying it right yeah um because I'm definitely one of those people who like thinks to to make things more accessible for like everybody because yeah. I think as a whole all of our communities just grow so much more the more access we give um because then other people get into it, they start experimenting and it just kind of snowballs into yeah. you know, things that don't even exist yet. Yeah. I, I think that's great. And I, I applaud that. And, and I, you know, I want to see more, more of that. And I, I, I think, I think that for some people, there's sort of an old mindset of like, if I teach you my techniques, then you will be able to duplicate my work right. and then no one will buy my work. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I, I understand that mindset, but that's kind of a fear-based perspective. Yeah. And I try not to embrace the fear-based perspective myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to share what I know about Kintsugi because there are so few good English language sources and there's so much fake kintsugi out there, people mixing gold glitter and epoxy and gluing things back together and calling it kintsugi. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of that, (laughs) but you know, so, I mean, I walk a knife edge of trying to, I am trying to learn more about a cultural tradition that is not my own out of pure appreciation and wanting Mm -hmm. to share that. And I think that um, the Japanese protection practitioners that um, I know are totally supportive of that. I mean, they may not all be, I don't, I can't speak mm-hmm. for all of them. I'm not a Japanese practitioner. I'm just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's part of why I try to stay so pure to the traditional approach. Um, I want to make sure that I'm not polluting that with my Western nonsense or whatever, you know, and I, I want to honor that, but that, like I'm, I'm learning Japanese so that I can read some of the traditional Japanese manuals and sort of understand it better. And I would love to go to Japan and, and, and go to um, Wajima where they do all the Arushi cultivation. And there's mm-hmm. this there's like, I, I'm really, I'll make a pilgrimage someday, but you know, like I, I, I want to sort of start small where I can, but for me, it's competition is not a thing because um, my pieces are hundred percent unique. I'm right. repairing, I'm providing a service. If other people provide the service tool, cool. Um, that's great. I also get enormous spiritual value out of doing it mm-hmm. because it's very meditative 
It is completely immersive. You have to be 100% in the moment and focused on what you're doing because I'm working with something that is toxic to me. So I have to be mindful and you're focusing, you're doing repetitive movements on a very small object most of the time. And it's, you're creating beauty, you're fixing something, you're helping a person, you're doing this thing that helps you focus and block out the world. So I get like, regardless of whether I'm going to sell the piece or I'm doing it for a friend or I broke my own dishes or I'm, <laughs> which happens <Yes>. and then <laughs> I'm clumsy I, or, you know, or I'm, I'm doing a repair commission for a friend or something like that. Like I enjoy the process. So I'm into teaching. I really want to teach and share more people so they can also get into the process. Like just, mm-hmm. this is a moving meditation and an act of art and service all at the same time. You're creating something that's going to endure. And it has this wonderful metaphor the more people who do that in the world, I think the better. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't behoove me to guard my secrets or whatever. Right. But even the things in my shop are antiques and vintage things. I found damaged at an antique store. You can't possibly recreate my stuff. <laughs> right. Even if you are better than me, <laughs> because it's a literally, it's a unique piece. So like, right. you're not going to find the same piece somewhere else. So like, knock yourself out, you know, right. exactly. learn it all, be better than me. I don't care. You know, yep. <laughs> like, so yeah, I yeah, tend to I, I tend to follow that same same mindset, you know, like that's that's why I'm passionate about trying to get more people into like power carving. It's not about yeah. like somebody who could compete against me cuz actually I like really enjoy watching people who like learn it so well and are out doing me and if anything yeah. else they inspire me then to be like, yeah. Ooh, like oh, I definitely. never thought about trying that. I'm going to try that or whatever, yeah. you know. Um but exactly that, like, there's a lot of pie to go around. So we don't need to, like, guard our little, like, slice of that that pie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because even though there's social media and it may seem like you're, like, competing, like, still so many people are serving their local community. And it's like, I don't know any other power carvers that are here where I'm right. located, yeah. you know, so I think. I definitely think it's like, I like the mantra of like community over competition. I definitely yeah. like buy into that wholeheartedly. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I think that most of my repair people, my repair clients, you know, who have found me on the internet have been sort of in this Southeastern region. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. I, there aren't a lot of people in the country, in the U S who do Kintsugi. So if you like, you need, you want a traditional repair, it's a pretty short list. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I don't have a storefront or anything. So people just find me online and that's cool. And, and I, you know, when I decided to sort of do it as a business, I was like stressed out, like, oh no, like, how am I gonna make any money? And then I was like, nah, I can't, like, I gotta just, I, I do this because I love it Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put my little book out there and I'm going to have my shingle up and I'm going to repair things for people if they find me and I'm going to put my things in my shop and people will buy my things if they like them. And I got to try to just not worry yeah. about it other than that. Right. Like, like I can't, I'm just, not, I am not a very online person. I am terrible at social media. I hate being on video. So I'm just like, uh, I'm the worst at self-promotion. I'm trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, because the more pieces that sell are the more pieces, the more, I, the more gold I can buy. Right. And it's really expensive. And you know, it's just like if somebody, you know, if you buy one of my pieces, that means I can fix like 500 right. pieces. So right. it's like, woo, you know, um, yep. and you know, the more people who find out about me for repairs are the more people I can help. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to come out of my comfort zone a little bit without, you know, totally throwing it away, but anyway yeah I'm with you I I have to just be like I have to like hoe my own row right like I'm just going to be here I'm going to do the best work I can I'm going to put it on the internet people can find it that would be great right um (laughs) but I can't get too worked up about it um yeah yep yep exactly yeah but I really enjoy like I'm so glad I found you and your podcast and I really enjoy I have a very supportive community at least that I have found on Instagram Mm -hmm. I know there are terrible things on Instagram and on the internet but you know, just try to keep it, keep it positive. And, and I try to follow other traditional practitioners and practitioners in Japan and people who are doing good stuff and, you know, gives me inspiration. And the day when it makes me start to feel bad is when I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a break, you know, <laughs> right? Like social yep. media sometimes yep. is just the worst. And whew, sometimes you got to take a break. If it starts yes. to make you feel bad, you know, like exactly. that person's work is better than mine. Right. They're selling that <laughs> table for 4,500 euros. Like, oh right. my God, you know? <laughs> 
like I'll never do that. And then it's like, I'll just come down, just do your own thing and everything will work itself out. Exactly. Exactly. I try. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's a a good note to, to say that we are like, you know, at getting to the end of our time together. So I want to give you a chance to let people know like how they can, how they can find you on that social media and follow along with what you're working on. Great. Yeah. Um, well, I, my, the hub of all my presence on the internet is mountainkintsugi.com. That's mountain, K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I.com. Um, and there you can see stuff in the shop and also get links to my Facebook and Instagram. Um, and yeah, and the, my course is for sale and pieces in the shop. And if you have something broken that you would like to find out about getting fixed, then that's how you can reach me. So yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, well, thanks for chatting with me today. I learned a lot. I really enjoyed learning about the process. Just wind me up and let me ramble for an hour and we, here we are. <laughs> Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been really great speaking with you. And I hope that um, people who listen have also learned something. And if they have any questions, I would love to hear from them. Awesome. All right. So again, that was Ann Taggart, and I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes for today's episode. You can find those in all kinds of places. First places to check, though, are the description on your podcast app, um, the description box down below if you're watching this on YouTube. And lastly, you can head on over to freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow along with the podcast and your host over on Instagram podcast is at crafting a revolution. That's all one word, no spaces in there at all. So at crafting a revolution, you can find myself, Katie Freeman at Freeman furnishings and my co-host Katie Thompson at women of woodworking Uh, would love to see you and connect with you over there. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Uh, That is much appreciated. If you didn't, don't worry about it next week we'll be back with two brand new episodes in the meantime as always let's go craft a revolution she, her, fan, they got something they want to say solution for the toxic